honor and integrity. And I trust that all of us here would consider honor and integrity as concepts and realities to be esteemed, to be sought after, to be developed in our lives. Even in general society, most people, even non-Christians, would say that someone could rightly earn the reputation of being honorable and a person of integrity. That would be a, a positive thing. Those two things are considered as virtues in God's Bible. For example, of integrity, God himself said of Job, He is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. He still holds fast to his integrity. Psalmist David wrote, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. And in Proverbs 20, first part of verse 7, it says, The righteous person walks in his integrity. Examples of honor in the Old Testament, Saul's servant said of Samuel, There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. And then in the New Testament, in some translations... The man Joseph of Arimathea, the man who lent his new tomb for Christ to be buried in and who joined with uh, Nicodemus to prepare Christ's body for his burial, it said that this man of Joseph of Arimathea is identified as an honorable member of the council. So being honorable, being a person of integrity, those are character aspects that we should esteem. Those are things we should strive for in our lives for the glory of Christ. When I think of those two virtues, I'm thankful that I know a number of people who are that way, who are honorable people, who are people who have those kind of character aspects, some in this very church whom I know well, some in the church where I'm a member who are characterized by those things. And I also think of a man named Bobby, who I knew about 40 years ago. When Bobby finished his formal education, he went to work at his father's firm. It was a business in the construction industry, and uh, their work involved a lot of large machinery, very expensive pieces of equipment. Not too long after Bobby went full-time to work at his dad's firm, his dad died. And that left young Bobby to run the whole business. And not long after he took over the business, he sat down at his dad's office desk one day and opened one of the bottom drawers. He was looking for something. He found a stack of invoices, bills, that were not marked paid. And not knowing why they were there or what all that meant, and even if the balances were truly due, Bobby started calling the people and the companies whose names were on those bills. Some of the, some of the people said, son, that, those things are so old, we, we've just already written them off. Or we, we forgot about that. Those are things your daddy just never paid. Some of the people told him, yes, 
those are balances still due, and quite frankly, we expect to get our money. So Bobby, a young man, but a man of integrity, a man of honor, he did the honorable thing. One by one, he told those persons with those balances due, he said, I'm new here to running the business, and I don't have the money right now, but if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to work hard, and if God will honor my efforts and grant me the increase, I'm going to make every one of these bills good, no matter how long it takes. I'm going to pay your money in full. And some of them told him, hey, just forget it, man. We've already written it off. And he said, no, that's money that our company owes you. We took that from you on good faith, and in good faith, I intend to honor God because I'm a Christian, and I'm going to pay it off. And God did prosper Bobby's hard work and his diligent management of the business, and it took a few years, but eventually every debt was paid off, even the ones who said, forget it. And that's always stood out to me as a great example in real life of honesty and honor and integrity, virtues that the Bible reveals are pleasing to God. For the rest of our time this morning, I want us to consider not Samuel or Job or David or Joseph of Arimathea, nor even my friend Bobby, but I want us to examine the life of an Old Testament husband and father, a man named Manoah, and he's found in Judges chapter 13. If you'll turn there with me in your Bible or scroll on your device, Judges is found right after Joshua and right before the book of Ruth. We're going to be looking in Judges chapter 13. Now, it may not surprise you to know that this time in the history of the nation of Israel was the period of the judges. And Judge Gideon has already come and gone and several other judges after him. And you know how it was in that period of time, the, the downward spiral of the Jews. They would obey God for a while and then repeatedly the text tells us that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They began to worship idols. And so the Lord would send, the Lord would send foreign enemies, pagans, to overtake the Jews. And they would live under this oppression for a while, and they'd come to their senses, and they would cry out to God, help us, deliver us. And God would do that. He would send them another deliverer, another judge. And for a season... Things would go good again, and the next thing you know, they've abandoned Yahweh and turned to their idolatries. Well, we pick up today, in chapter 13, verse 1, is sometime after the last judge named Abdon had died. That's recorded in the last verse of chapter 12. Now, I very seldom preach from lengthy texts, but this morning I'm going to look at the entire 13th chapter. It has... Uh, 25 verses, my wife said to me on the way to church this morning, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm thinking that I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, what I want to do is, first of all, just read the entire chapter, and I'm reading from the New King James. Your translation may vary slightly. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, 
And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. There's our guy. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink. Some translations there say don't drink fermented drink and not to eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 6, so the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the days of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said, Look, the man has just now appeared to me, the one who came to me the other day. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Verse 12, And Manoah said, Now, let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we will prepare for you a young goat. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to Yahweh. For Manoah did not know that this was the angel of the Lord. So then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is so wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he, the Lord, did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. As the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, and it happened that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Verse 21, when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. And his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he 
He would have not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshdol. Now, the man Samson, who is the child that was born, is way more familiar to us than his parents. But for today, I want us to focus on Samson's mom and dad, and particularly his dad. The title for today's message is, The Honorable Heart of Manoah. There's not really a sermon outline this morning, but what I want to show us is eight displays of Manoah's honorable heart. Not only to learn about him so that we can just walk away and say, well, look, the guy picked out some things about Manoah, and now I know that. But these should be examples to us of an expressed honorable heart that are worthy of emulation by those of us who follow Christ as Savior and Lord. Those of us who strive to live a righteous life by the enablement of God's Holy Spirit, we can emulate these honorable ways. And as we go along, you'll notice that some of these eight examples are, I'm going to elaborate some of them more than others, and they're all worthy of more elaboration than I have time to give them, but you respond to the degrees that the Lord impresses you as we see these texts together. All right, here we go. Here's the first thing I want us to notice about this man. Manoah was honorable in believing his wife. He was honorable in believing his wife. You notice as we read that the text says, this messenger of the Lord appeared to the wife. By the way, she's never named in the scripture. I don't know what to make of that, but she just called his wife. She appeared to the wife when Manoah was not with her. <laughs> Don't know how old the couple was at this time, but we know that so far they'd not been able to have children. She was barren, and as you know, in that society at that time, that was a great stigma. I'm sure it was embarrassing to that couple, probably very disappointed about that. So this angel comes and tells her these things. I know you're barren, but you're going to have a baby. You're going to be a son. And he tells her some things about her. You're not to drink any wine or fermented drink. That was not normally a prohibition. You shouldn't do that in excess, but Jews could normally do that, but not her. Nor eat any unclean thing. Well, she wasn't supposed to be eating any unclean thing anyway. And you're not supposed to cut the boy's hair. And all this was promised that in due time, this son's going to come and he's going to, notice at the end of verse 5, it says he's going to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Some of the other judges, as God raised them up, they got rid of the enemies. It's going to take a little time past Samson for the Philistines to get run out of the place. But he's going to begin to deliver them. Listen, this is some pretty startling stuff, right? I mean, 
an angel of the Lord. I, I find it interesting that she told her husband, he, the man had appearance of the angel of God. Well, how did she know what an angel of God looked like? But that's what she said, and she meant it. And so this, this person comes and talks about, you're going to be pregnant, and this is going to happen, and your son's going to begin to deliver your people from the Philistine oppression. That's some pretty startling stuff to hear and to believe. And when the wife goes to Manoah and tells him all of this, about the visit from the man of God and that he was an angel and all this that he said, she didn't notice, notice Manoah did not rebuff her. He didn't say, are you sure? Did you get that right? I don't mean this as a joke, but he didn't say to her, have you been drinking a little too much wine already? And Maybe you imagine this? He didn't say any of that to her. The first thing he did was go to prayer. And, and he says in verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let that man of God whom you sent come to us again to teach us how to raise this child. And what that's revealing to me is that Manoah believed what his wife told him. Even this dramatic, startling information, when she said it, he believed her. Apparently, he knew enough about her to trust her in what she was saying. Men, it is a blessing from God to have a trustworthy, righteous wife. Amen really does go there. And when you have such a wife, it is honorable of you to trust her, to trust her judgment, to trust her words, to trust her behaviors. When your wife has earned your trust, honor her, brothers, by trusting her. Second thing for us to notice about Manoah is also found there in verse 8. He was honorable in prayer. He was honorable in prayer. Now, I know that sometimes in the Bible narrative, not everything is mentioned. There may have been other things that happened that are just not recorded. But all I have to go on is what's here. And what we do have of Manoah's action is this. When he heard of this beautiful thing that was going to happen to their lives, this astounding thing, that we're going to have a son. The first thing he does is go to prayer. This is great. He's asking God for more instruction on how to raise this child who would come. And, and the request, quite simply in principle, was, God, help us. Help us. What a wise thing to do. What a God-honoring thing to do. What an honorable thing to do is when you need help, go to God. Go to God first. Go to God quickly. Manoah's thinking seems to have been, this message has come to us from God, and so now I must go to God for help. How many of the biblical examples of this? We have a need. May we first and promptly take it to the Lord in prayer. Here's a third thing to see illustrated by Manoah. He was honorable 
in learning his responsibilities as a dad. Honorable in learning his responsibilities as a dad. I see that from his prayer in the latter part of verse 8, where he says, Lord, let the man come again and teach us what shall we do for the child who will be born. He asked God to send again this messenger. Teach us. Teach us how, how to raise this child. And again at the end of verse 12, when he's speaking to the angel directly, he says, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? The ESV has that. What is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? I'm sure Manoah could have gone to his own dad and asked for parental advice. I'm sure there were other good men that lived around him and raised boys. And he could say, hey, you've been a father. Help me to do this. But Manoah seems to see this child is going to be special. There's all the events around this. This child is going to be special, and I think God may have some special ways for us to raise this child. What work does God have for Samson? And so I need to know how to prepare his life most especially, and God is the one who can tell me how to do that. Now, I phrase this emphasis related to being a dad because that's the particular circumstance that Manoah was in, but the principle here is excellent for emulation by all believers, whether we're fathers of sons or not, mothers and fathers or daughters or sons are wise to seek godly direction for rearing children. Amen? To seek godly direction for rearing children. And we find that primarily in the Bible. I think if some first-time parent came to me and said, you know, all thrilled about, we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby, what do I do? They asked me for advice. I think what, one of the first things I might tell them is, go read the whole book of Proverbs and everything in there about raising a child, write it down and plan to do it. But we may apply this principle even more broadly than just about parenting. A person came to me and said, I'm not, really, I'm not really satisfied in the vocation I'm doing right now, and I wonder if, if I should change career directions. I hope my first exhortation to them would be, you should be praying daily to ask God, what should I do with my life? God is the one who can tell you how to best invest yourself. Just two weekends ago, I had the privilege of leading a marriage conference with 41 couples and two of the emphases in the sessions were about his words and her words, meaning the God instructions for godly husbanding and the God instructions for godly wifing. Because the very best way to do marriage God's way is to do marriage the Bible way. Amen? If you want to know how to do things God's way, ask God. And I would suggest to you that all engaged couples and all newlywed couples and all long-term married couples should be praying a version of Manoah's beseechment to God here at the end of verse 8. Lord, 
teach us how to do this marriage you have given us. We need you to show us what to be doing. And all Christians should have the intention and the follow-through to be seeking God. As in the phrasing here at the end of verse 12, what will be my rule of life and work? God, what is your desire for my life and my mission that you have for me? We ought to be praying that. And you know where God gives us instructions in his word. Find them in the Bible and live them from the Bible. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to know it is honorable, it is wise, it is smart <laughs> to be learning what God says as the rule of life for Christ followers. Learn them accurately and fully and well and then live them. Thanks, Manoah, for this example. Here's a fourth thing we see about Mr. Manoah. He was honorable in active faith. Honorable in active faith. I think we see his faith evidence at least two ways in this text. First, by his praying. Manoah believed God would hear his prayer and answer him. That's a good thing. Jesus taught us in Matthew 21, 22. In all things whatsoever you pray, believing you will receive. We believers can believe God. We pray and he will hear us and give us. We also see Manoah's faith evidenced in his words to the angel. Look at the, the beginning of verse 12. Now, the New King James says this. Now, let your words come to pass. But most other translations there have it, when your words come true. By saying when your words come true is a statement of confident expectation. That's faith. I believe that what you're telling me is going to happen. He had faith that this angel was saying what God wanted said. He had faith that what God was announcing to him, God would do. God would send them a son. Manoah had faith in God and in the promises of God. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, you and I can have implicit and explicit faith in God, as God and in his promises that are applicable to our lives. I know you know that, but remember that. God is impeccably faithful. And so let's ask ourselves, we say, oh, yes, we know that, amen. Let's ask ourselves about our faith, not in words only, but in practice, Do we trust God to be in absolute ultimate control of everything that goes on in the universe that he has created? Really? Do we trust him to be that much in control that we can rest in what he's doing? Do we trust God fully enough to supply all of our needs for every aspect of our life? As a believer, do you think there's ever going to be a need, a true need that you have that God won't meet? Are you resting in that? See, that's where the professed faith hits the road. Do you 
trust God enough to answer your prayers in the ways he knows is best, in the time frame he knows is best. Oh, we anxious Americans. Oh, hurry, God, hurry. He's always right on time. Even more importantly, do you trust God as the Savior of your soul? I mean, in your professed faith, are you sure that God has given you the spiritual rebirth? Are you sure that you're heaven-bound? What is sure, according to God's sure word, is that all those and only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior will go to heaven. There is an eternity also for all those who do not trust Christ. It's a real place. It's an unspeakably horrible place, and it's called hell. It's what we all deserve. But God, in His grace, through the gracious, merciful, meritorious, substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has provided atonement for all the sins of all of those who will follow His Son in faith. If that's not you, or if you're not sure, I, I, I think I'm a Christian, I, I think I'm following Jesus, I think He's given me the spiritual rebirth. If you're not sure, if you're not positive, call on God. Confess your sins. Tell Him, God, I'm, I, I, I need you to help me. I need you to give me the faith to believe in your Son. I need you to help me to repent for my sins and turn from my self-fulfilling way of life and to follow Jesus and do that soon. Don't put it off. It's too important to put it off. Don't delay. God, God saves souls. But you've got to come to him in faith. And he, can only, he only can give you the faith. And if you are saved, rejoice and keep on living for God. And thank him every day that he has saved your soul. So Manoah said to this angel concerning the matters of, related to how to raise the son promised by God, when your word comes true, meaning Manoah, believe what God's messenger said. The Lord Jesus said at John eleven twenty five, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We can believe that promise from the Savior himself. I encourage you, do believe that promise and do believe the Savior. All right, here's a fifth thing Mr. Manoah shows us. He was honorable with the angel who was God's messenger. He was honorable with the angel who was God's messenger. Now, you need to remember, it wasn't until later in the story that Manoah finally realized that really was a messenger from God. Won't you look with me at verse 15? Manoah says to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. That's being courteous. That's being hospitable. That's being respectful. 
towards someone who at the moment Manoah just thought of as a stranger, just some guy who'd come with a message. Well, in what ways does that example us or remind us? Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then see if this one doesn't fit, Mr. Manoah. Hebrews 13.2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It is an honorable thing to show hospitality in whatever way that may be manifested. Number six on our list, Manoah was honorable before the Lord with an offering. He was honorable before the Lord with an offering. Remember, he offered the meal to the angel, and the angel said, no, I I won't eat your food, but if you want to do something, give a, a burnt offering to God. So here we are at the beginning of verse 19. Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. Okay? So we're talking about the offering here. But I want us to follow this offering carefully because there's something very interesting about this. In fact, it's fantastic. All right? So the angel has already told him, you need to offer this to the Lord. And so here in verse 19, we see Manoah doing that very thing along with the grain offering. And notice that these things were offered upon the rock. Nothing there about laying sticks and limbs out on top of the rock to make a fire under the goat and the grain. And then you see there at the end of verse 19, it says, He, the Lord, did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife Looked on. The New American Standard has that God performed wonders while the couple looked on. The old dead German scholars, Kylan Dalich, have it, and wonderfully and miraculously did God act. Well, what was this miraculous, wonderful thing God did? Look at it in verse 20. As the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, It happened that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. But even before we get to that, the wonder of the angel ascending and not burning up, I want you to notice in verse 19, this is called the the altar. The, The rock, previously called a rock, is now called the altar. And the flame went up from that rock. Some interpreters take this event as being the same end time action as back in chapter 6 when Gideon put an offering upon a rock altar. So it's more explicit there. I want you to hold chapter chapter 13 and turn back real quick to Judges chapter 6. And look at something with me there. Judges chapter 6 verses 20 and 21. The angel of God said to him, Gideon, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and watch this, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire rose out of the rock. What? You mean fire just spontaneously combusted out of a rock? Yeah, that's exactly what that means. How did that happen? God did it. God did it supernaturally. The same supernatural God power that God made at other times when the Jews were coming out of Egypt when he made water come out of a rock. The same supernatural power that God used to part the Red Sea and send all those plagues in Egypt before that. The same supernatural power that God used to split the ground suddenly under Dathan and Abiram in their whole household and swallow him up and then close it back over them. Back in Bible times, God had supernatural powers. And the never-changing God still has those supernatural powers. Even in our day, when they best fit his purposes, he still uses them. What I'm about to report to you happened to a dear friend of mine, a member of, of the church that I regularly attend. I personally know multiples of peoples that something very similar to this has happened to, but this one happened this very month, February of 2024. My friend had gone to the doctor for an appointment, and they found a growth in her body. And so they took another scan, a more definitive scan, MRI or whatever, I don't know which one it was, to find out precisely what it was. And the doctor said, oh yeah, it's there, and it has to be removed. So she went in a couple weeks later for the procedure, and they did the scan, and sure enough, the thing is still there. They laid her on the table and inserted an instrument into her body, and the doctor's looking up on the live scan, and he says, I can't see it. And nobody else could see it. And so they pulled the thing out of her body and said, send her back down the hall and get another scan, a more definitive scan. And it was gone. God took it away. Two weeks ago, to somebody I know and love, God did that. Got a little note right here. If time, I'm looking at my watch, I got time. This past Friday night, a day and a half ago, I was invited to go to North Carolina and teach a Bible study in a, in a home to some people. Uh, the host we knew, the other people I never met in my life. One of the couples who was invited to come, they have an adult special needs child who in the last several weeks has really gone downhill in health. And she needs to have literally round-the-clock home care and the mother and the father have been supplying her care, and they have not been able to attend church for quite some time. And they said, we really want to come to this Bible study. We just, we just need some fellowship. We need to hear the Word of God taught. And their daughter-in-law said, I'll come 
and watch the girl. She's not a girl. She's 31 years old. And you can go to the Bible study. Thank you. And on the way to the Bible study, and the woman got a migraine headache. Guess where that came from? Some of you here know about migraine headaches. I know enough people who have them to know that sometimes they're greatly affected by light and other times by sound and sometimes by both. And migraines are really bad and they can last maybe hours, maybe days. Say amen, Andrea. So this woman comes into the house and she walks in. I've never met her. And she's got, you know, when you go to the eye doctor, you know, it's a big, heavy, dark glass. And she's wearing these dark glasses. And her husband's kind of leading her by the hand. And what up? I'm Dennis. And she said, I'm Kathy. And he says, she got a migraine on the way over here. And I thought, oh, Lord. So I thought, everybody talks softly. Well, nobody paid any attention to that. We sat down to eat the fellowship meal. And at one point, he, he kind of, whispered to me, he said, I'm watching her, and if she gets any worse, I'm, I'm just going to have to take her home. I'm sorry. I just hate to miss this. About halfway through the meal, I noticed the, the dark glasses came off, and toward the end of the meal, I, I heard her whisper something to the hostess, and the lady came back with a Ziploc bag full of ice, and Kathy was holding the bag of ice on the side of her head. Time came to go in the other room for the Bible study, and she went in, and the next thing I know, she laid the bag of ice down, and she was there for the whole Bible study and engaging, and after we said amen, the people hung around for an hour, including Kathy and her husband, fellowshipping, and you might think, well, you know, sometimes they come and go quickly, and that just happened. You think that if you want to, I know what I think, and I'm right. God took it away. God did that as a beautiful supernatural blessing for that woman in that moment. Brothers and sisters, I'm still on this emphasis about being honorable before the Lord with an offering. But as they offered this offering, they saw God Manoah and his wife saw God do something amazing. And if you're a Christian, God has done something amazing and supernatural for you. He saved your soul. And we believers ought to be making offerings to God, shouldn't we? Not with goats and grain, but praise offerings and thank offerings and offerings of monetary tithes and offerings. Offerings of singing and light hearts and living honorable lives. God is worthy of that, right? He's worthy of that. Now, to go back to chapter 13 of Judges, don't forget that part about the angel of the Lord went up in the flame that came from the rock. Now, when we use the phrase, went up in flames, <laughs> you know what we mean, it burned up. That's not what that means here. He ascended unharmed back to heaven. And seeing these two miracles, a fire from a rock consuming an offering and, and flames going up and not consuming an angel, Manoah and his wife turned to each other and softly said, that was interesting, wasn't it? 
Oh, no, they didn't. They fell on their faces to the ground and worshiped God. Awestruck at the power of Almighty God. Look at it, verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. Here we have seventh display from Manoah. He was honorable in fear and reverential awe of God's power and holiness. And I know that's long, but every word is worth writing down. He was honorable in fear and reverential awe of God's power and holiness. Now, all of you know that in the Bible, often the word fear is, means reverential awe. and Sometimes it means to be afraid. It seems in this verse 22 fear, we can take Manoah truly being afraid because he thought he was going to die. Maybe in that moment he recalled Exodus 33:20, where God said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. I like the way his wife comes and reasons with him <laughs> with logic. Hey, if God was really going to kill us, he would have already done it. And he can picture Manoah saying, oh, yeah, however you say that in Hebrew, I don't know. But the other part is this reverential awe at the power display the couple saw at the realization at the end of verse 21 when Manoah knew, oh, this was the angel of the Lord. And now, in that moment, Reverential awe caused them to fall on their faces to the ground. Boy, this point is worthy of so much more elaboration, but let us remember this. Psalm 111.9b, holy and awesome is God's name. Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And from Hebrews 12.28 in the ESV it reads, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. With gusto, by the way, it's okay, but not with silliness and flippancy. Offer to God worship with reverence and in awe. Okay, let's give attention to one more honorable, honorable response of Manoah and his wife. This is the last one on our list, number eight. He was honorable in obedience to God's commands. He was honorable in obedience to God's commands. Now, clearly, God did not kill Manoah and his wife because we know that they gave birth to a son. And the next chapter gives references to future actions by Manoah. But I want you to notice again from verse 7, as she's recounting these uh, restrictions, uh, the angel said, now, you don't drink any wine or fermented drink or eat anything unclean. And then the part about the child being a Nazarene or Nazarite. The angel told her, don't do these things. I would suppose that she was obedient. I'm trusting that this woman did what the angel of God said to do. Obedient to the parameters during her pregnancy. And as for the son told he would be a Nazarite to God from the womb. As you know, uh, by the way, the word Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word that means dedicated or consecrated. And there were three main parameters of that. One was that you don't cut your hair. 
Two, you don't drink any wine or fermented drink. Don't eat grapes or raisins. And the third one has to do with not touching or even coming close to a corpse. The last two Samson will apparently ignore in his adult life. Most of the time, a Nazarite vow was voluntary. People accepted it for a period of time. This one is God-instructed, God-imposed from the womb all the way to the grave. And so I'm, I'm supposing this now. I don't know that the scripture can prove this to me, but as careful it was, as Manoah was to, follow, to get the instruction from the angel of God how to rear the boy, I believe he would have probably been careful to follow those instructions. We know for sure they followed the instruction about not cutting the hair. The application of this point to our lives should be obvious. God has given us instructions and parameters and directions and sometimes restrictions on how Christ's followers are to live the Christian life. God expects us to know them and to obey them faithfully. All of them. Not eight out of ten ain't bad. Or not, oh, I like this one. That one I don't like so much. This one I don't understand. That one's convenient. All of them. And the things that God asks us to do to live a righteous life are not only for his glory, but for our own good. Have you learned that yet? They're for our own good and for our spiritual success. So I want to encourage us to emulate this matter of obedience, not only from Manoah, but from Jesus, who obeyed his heavenly Father in everything the Father sent him to do. We should go and do likewise. All right. So you've listened to this message, and you've heard me mention the name of God a few times. But the primary attention has been on Mr. Manoah. And that's okay to do, by the way, to take a Bible character and see what we can learn from them and apply it to our lives. But I hold to the position that in every Bible text, the main character is God himself. So what do we see about God evidenced here? By the way, I'm almost done. Just this brief recap. From verse 1, it was God who delivered Israel into the hands of the Philistines because of Israel's sin and wickedness. From verse 3, it was God who sent the angel messenger with the news of the son who was to be born. From verse 24, it was God who caused the woman to conceive and then give birth to the son. From verse 4, it was God who decreed the restrictions for the mother and for the child to conform to the Nazarite rules. From verse 5, it was God who foretold how this son as an adult would be used by God on behalf of the whole nation to begin to deliver them from the Philistine oppression. In verses 8 and 9, it was God who heard and answered the prayers of Manoah. In verse 16, it was God who through the angel instructed Manoah about the proper kind of burnt offering to offer to God. In verse 20, it was God who through the supernatural doings before the eyes of the couple validated the divine source of all this information by doing that supernatural thing. And for verse 24, it was God who blessed Samson as the boy grew. And in verse 25, it was God who caused the Holy Spirit to begin to move upon Samson. 
And by the way, it was God who gave the heart to Manoah to be honorable and do the right thing. There's God in the passage. So we can see that the sovereign God was moving in and around and through all of this. He was in situational control as he is also in ultimate control. And and sending this child to deliver the nation was an act of mercy of God upon the people who had rebelled against him. Again, an act of mercy of God. And this is the same God who's in control of all of our lives. Yeah, I see it there. What does it have to do with us? This is the same God who controls our life and our world today. The same God who gives us direction for our life and ministry. The same God whose mercies are on our lives, new every morning. The same God who is worthy to be praised and worshipped and loved and obeyed, made offerings to. So I want us to ask ourselves, are we loving this God? Are we offering to him our lives of obedience? Manoah, to me, seems to have been a God-trusting man. That's a great example for us to follow. Amen? My friend Bobby, the guy who paid off all the debts, he, like Manoah, was a man of honor and integrity. And those are virtues that all of us as believers ought to be striving to cultivate. God said Job was a man of integrity. And the Bible tells us that Samuel was an honorable man. But most of all, the greatest exemplar was Jesus Christ himself, who said at John 8, 49, I honor my Father. I honor my Father. May the Lord help all of us to prioritize in our lives these Christian virtues of honor and integrity and loving obedience to God. And may we all, by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, purpose to be Honorable before God and man, honorable in our hearts, and honorable in our words, and honorable in all of our conduct, all of that for the glory of God. God, thank you for putting Judges chapter 13 in our Bible, and thank you for allowing us the freedom to come here this morning and worship you, and the freedom to, to, to assemble together and study and be taught by you. And I hope our souls have been stirred, maybe this one this way and this one another way, but all of us, God, may we respect you and honor you and love you more because of having been in this building for the last hour. And God, help us to remember these things and live them out. The glory of Christ in whose name we pray.